0: The following message is by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org.
1: Father, we draw near to you by your grace, by the fact that you have made a way in Christ's cross, that you have placed your spirit in the midst of this people and in the midst of our own persons, in each of us individually, those of us who are believers. You've done a great thing. You've made wide a path for us to walk into your holy, holy, holy place. To commune with you, we say, bless your name, thank you for that. That is all of you. Anything that any of us does, anything that any of us does in In teaching and in praying and in preaching and in serving is is all simply an outpouring of your grace. It is all 100% you. Apart from you, we can do nothing. Not apart from you, we do something small. Apart from you, we can do nothing. So we say all praise and all glory and all honor be to him who sits on the throne. And to the lamb, the one sent and slain, that we can approach the throne and receive from that throne mercy and grace in our time of need. And so we ask you confidently in in smiling thanksgiving for grace and mercy now. Will you make clear your word and will you make clear how it applies to each of us individually today? There are various things that we could consider from this passage and according to where we are and where we are at any given moment, different things will touch us. So we pray, Spirit, speak to each of us today where we sit, where we are, and make your word clear. If you don't, we will not be grown in Christ's It is up to you. So please, Spirit, move and change us, build the church, and honor the Son. And it is in the name of Jesus, in his glorious name, for his glory we pray. Amen. We turn our attention this morning to the middle of Luke chapter 11. Last week, as we looked at verses 14 to 23, we saw there a brief, very brief, one verse long, very brief recounting of a miracle, and then a bunch of verses discussing the miracle and what it was, what it meant. Jesus, again, healed a man by casting out a demon that was afflicting him, and a crowd all saw it and marveled, and then they set about explaining it. And whereas previously we've seen crowds be very positive, very full of joy, very excited, very clear to give praise to God. Here now, finally, we're finding crowds divided, uncertain as to what to make of it or how he did it, some even saying he did it by the power of Satan himself. So in verse 17, we see that Jesus begins to walk through the logic, or rather the illogic of that theory, saying Satan's kingdom does not destroy Satan's kingdom. That makes no sense. But it is, as everybody sees, clearly something supernatural. There is spiritual power at work here, and if not from darkness, then. If not from darkness, from light. This is the power of God, which means, conclusion, verse 20, the kingdom of God has come now in me. So says Jesus. He says you should look at this and you should see a situation where a strong man has held someone like this mute man, this formerly mute man sitting right here. He has held someone, but a stronger one, it's got to be about power. There's no trickery, there's no persuasion, it's about power. A stronger one has broken in and set him free. Look, that's the power of God at work in Jesus and he points that out to call us to pick sides, but also to encourage us because that's the power of God. The kingdom of God in power has come already. It's here. Not completely, not fully, but truly so. It has broken into the world and it is spreading. There is still clearly much darkness and clearly much fallenness around and even within us as we are, we, even we who are redeemed are still fallen people. But the power of God has come clearly and he tells us that so that we will be encouraged and so that we will lean into his power Given to us by his spirit. That was last week. Demon exorcism power response. And continuing with those touch points, with those themes, we come to our passage for today. Begin in verse 24. And like a lot of passages in Luke, there isn't any any time stamp, any any date stamp on it. So we don't really know when exactly this happened, but Luke, as commonly he does, he groups things by, by topics. So he's gathered this together because it's right on the very same topics. as demon and exorcism and response. How we, should, how we should think about that and what we should do in response to it. What we should trust in. How we should lean. So he's going to work on those themes here in verses 24 to 28. A couple of separate paragraphs that are put back to back because they have some relationship to them. I'm going to talk about those things. Essentially, uh, my goal here, and, I, and as I prayed earlier, is that it would, God would take this and would apply what's here to each of us, where we sit, where we are. My goal this morning is that we would, we would think about how to respond to the gracious and powerful work of God that we encounter today. So how we respond today to what we have encountered Maybe today, maybe yesterday, maybe the day before. But how you respond is going to be, as we'll see, critical in this passage. To not respond leads one into great trouble and hardening, in fact. So what we're going to look at today in verses 24 to 28, let me read it, read the whole passage, and then go back and make two observations. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person... A woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts at which you nursed. But he said, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Luke chapter 11. i make two observations. Here's the first one, and it it is longer. I guess I do that a lot, but this is a longer one, so don't worry about the time. God's gracious. Kingdom power must be met with Godward faith in Christ. God's gracious kingdom power must be met with Godward faith in Christ. If we want real life in the heart, if we want to, if we want to come out the other side of God's gracious kingdom power, there has to be a response of Godward faith in Christ. Let's see how this passage gets at that. Verse 24, When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, here's an example of what I'm terming God's gracious kingdom power. Just like we saw, a demon cast out, a stronger man attacking the otherwise strong man, breaking free from his house, a demon-possessed man, The spirit has gone out, and then what happens? Well, Jesus describes in some kind of colorful, figurative language what happens to the demon, not so that we can construct a a very tight theology of demons, but because really he wants to talk about people. So we can think a little bit about the demon here, but it's really the focus is on the person and how how people respond here and how we should respond, how we shouldn't and how we should. So he's going to describe the demon. So the demon is, is cast out, overcome by God's power, and then it begins to wander around through waterless places, like a, like a desert or a wilderness. It's a metaphorical match for the realm of demons, a desolate place where there's no water, where there's no life, it's It's demons demon is traveling around searching for a resting place a home and a demon doesn't go looking in gardens and vineyards you can kind of see this isn't the main point but it's the backdrop where does a demon go wandering around looking for someone for someone to possess not in places that are watered and that have life but in the desert hunting for a person who's living in the desert. Wandering around in waterless places and not being able to find someone. He says, I'm going to circle back to where I just came from, the previous host, the, my home. And what does he find? Well, the, the house, remember he's talking about a person here, the house has been swept up, tidied up, fixed. The power of God has come and restored and straightened up and cleaned up this house this person so that the mute man can talk now if you think back a few chapters remember the 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 man possessed by legion of demons who was who was stark raving mad they had to chain him up he was so violent and he could break free of the chains and he and he lived in the tombs naked and he was a threat to everybody that guy he's restored in his right mind he's clothed he's he can carry on he's a productive member of society again the house, swept, cleaned, put back in order. And in this case, unoccupied. That's the whole point. Swept, cleaned, put back in order, productive member of society, a guy who can talk again, a guy who wears clothes and doesn't punch people, somebody who's like restored, but a void, empty ready to be filled by something else. And he will, this one will be filled by something else. The demon comes, finds him unoccupied, and goes and finds seven other, the the perfect, the whole number of demons, a, a fullness of other demons who are worse than him, comes back and they all come and dwell. They take up residence within him, home. And he's worse off than before. Jesus tells that story not to make us think, obviously, man, you should have just stuck with the first demon. That's demonic. And obviously, he's worse off than before. The only way out of this is to respond to that gracious power of God properly. That's the point. He's got to be a recipient of this and then to respond to it rightly. And now the direct subject here obviously is demon possession a demon who lives in who possesses this person but we must not think well I've never been possessed by a demon and frankly I don't know anybody that I know of who has been so this doesn't apply to any of us you see if we did that if we, if we held it just tightly to demon possession immediately it has nothing to say to the room but that's, that's not what's going on here That's why I'm saying gracious kingdom power of god if you change the language from demon possession to stronger man attacking the stronghold of satan battering down the gate and ripping out from his possession the stuff he owns the people he owns if, if you change that to be the previous picture then it begins to widen and you see oh The power of God, the kingdom power of God, come to earth to set captives free. Oh, maybe that's the power of God come to do good to people who are otherwise under the oppression of darkness. Oh, a little wider. That begins to include all of us. In some way or another, all of us have been recipients of, directly or indirectly, in countless ways, the gracious kingdom power of God that is at work in the world now. All of us, directly or indirectly, in countless ways. So, starting small, sometimes you might just say, a a friend of mine or a family member of mine was in some way blessed, and I was like I had rollover blessing from that. then move it up a little bit, something that was directly about you, maybe just in some way, a, a blinding, the darkness that blinds and deceives was, was pulled away, and you like saw something about yourself. Something just this small. You went to a funeral one day and you, like, you know what? life passes away. That's, that would be a very small example. Right there, that's a little piece of God's gracious kingdom power breaking in to take away a little bit of the, the blinding oppression that wants to convince you you live forever and there's nothing to worry about. And for a moment you just thought, you know, I, maybe I'm going to die. Huh. Right there, little bit of God's gracious kingdom power. Satan doesn't want you to think about the end. That's of God. Move it up more. Perhaps you have been a recipient or, or, or an indirect beneficiary of something that is, that is remarkable, that is a gracious provision of some need in life. You needed God to come through and you prayed and you asked and it happened. And you said, that's of God. And of course, we could also say something that is about direct demonic or about miraculous. But... The, the issue that par excellence shows us God's gracious kingdom power at work is clearly the cross. We we sang about it in a number of songs this morning. Men and women, I'm I'm talking to, to those who are Christians and those who are not here. Men and women. Something has happened in the world. Maybe you have never had anything happen to a a family member. Maybe you've never had a moment of of illumination and, and like seeing something spiritual true. Maybe you've never had a prayer answered. This has happened. The message long promised about God one day promising to step into the world and break the bonds that hold humanity. Think about this. Think about this. The bonds that hold humanity and drag us into death. That moment by moment constantly seek to kill, steal, and destroy. That is a a massive, powerful, strong force in this world. And God one day promised to break it. And then he kept his promise and sent Christ. That's the message of the cross that has happened. For many of us, we are very familiar with it, and you in fact have embraced it. Maybe for some it's brand new today. I don't know. God's gracious power has stepped into the world and has acted to do good. To lay down some in (laughs) incredible. I mean, we use words like that, I, even I use words like that and, and they, the luster of them rubs off because everything's incredible. You know, it, hamburgers are awesome these days, so it, it's, it, it, word, words lose meaning, but can I say like, I mean really awesome? I mean truly incredible? We so often don't, don't regard the Thing, the thing that God has done in sending Christ to break the bonds, to set captives free, what the cross has accomplished already, it is incredible. It is impossible to understand and to believe. If you re- regard it just from the flesh, it seems ridiculous. It has no credibility in it. It is incredible. But yet God has done it. And he brought this Jesus out of the grave to show, look, he is alive again. It is true. Incredible as it may be, there's the credibility. He's alive. Amazing. And the point is, when that happens, it must be met properly. Every single one of those little things building up to that. Every single little step of God, every time that God reaches out and in some way touches your life, how you meet that is important. But how you meet this one irrefutable, remarkable, gracious, powerful kingdom act of God, how you meet that, what happens next right after that is critical. It must be met with faith in Christ. I mean that two ways. I'm going to talk to two audiences here. Faith in Christ, maybe for the first time. And then, for those of us who are Christians, faith in Christ again and again and again and again and again. And again. Not that you're living the first time over, but you are walking in the benefits of again and, again and again and again and again. The first time, if you're not a Christian this morning, please consider this there is a spiritual realm. It is not visible, it's spiritual, and we are very, very accustomed, We, as we walk the earth, we're very accustomed to, to overlooking it, rationalizing it, or kind of playing fast and loose with it. Sometimes we, we think about it and kind of appease some sort of a power, and then we move away and forget it. There's a spiritual realm that is more real than the physical realm, because this one's going to pass away, and that one won't. It's here now, it stretches on into eternity. And what Jesus is talking about here, even in the very subject of talking about demon possession, or in the very act in the previous passage of casting out a demon, is he's, he's lifting up in front of our eyes. That realm is real. And maybe unbeknownst to us, it has a dramatic and strong influence on you you are possessed you are filled by something or another and if it's not God it's other and that other comes to kill steal and destroy you God does not God does not if you're male and you've been to the bathroom over here, there's a little bulletin board above the urinal. And one of the things posted on the bulletin board says, asks the question, why would you run from somebody who knows everything about you and loves you completely anyway? That's God. And Satan comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And what Jesus is lifting up in front of us is God has intervened in the world in love to break those bonds free, and how you respond to that is critical. There's, there's a moment. It's, it's almost like, it's like there's a, a pause button hit, or maybe there's like a fork in the road laid out in front of you. Something has happened, and how you respond either leads to life and blessing. Faith in Christ leads to life and blessing, or the other fork leads to life worse. It leads to hardening. In in the story, seven more demons come along and you end up worse off. There's a hardening that happens to the human heart as we hear this and say, (gasps) uh, hear it again. uh, Eventually, you're only thinking, what else you got to say? Nothing. This is the message. There is life found. There is freedom found in what God has done in Christ. And to not respond in faith in Christ leads to hardening and leads to death. Consider that and turn to Christ and find life. Respond to this with faith in Christ. And what happens is that then Christ comes and fills us. He himself comes to fill a person. So the house isn't left empty. But Christ himself, God says remarkably that he moves into a person. He moves in, takes up residence within us, and fills us. And Christian, that's where you live. You are, if you are a Christian, you are already, you've already moved past that first fork in the road, and you are permanently, irrevocably, indwelt by God the Holy Spirit. He lives in you. So in some way, again, perhaps there's a temptation to say, well, that's never going to apply to me then because the demon's never going to come back and find the house empty. Moving away from just the demon to God's gracious kingdom power at work to take away darkness. Respond to that. Respond to that today with faith in Christ. Because while you are irrevocably indwelt, with the Holy Spirit, there is a difference between indwelling and filling. So, follow my, follow my language here. It could get confusing because here in the passage we've got filling as a, an empty thing with something in or something in. This fills or this fills. What I just said is, the Spirit lives in you. So what are you talking about? difference between indwelling and filling. He's filling me. What? Okay, so now I'm I'm switching illustrations to switch language, as the Bible does. The Bible's language for Christians, the Spirit indwells us, lives in us, but there's a difference between being indwelt and filled with the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 5.18, you know it. Be filled with the Holy Spirit, written to Christians. Be directed and empowered, what the word means. Parallels it with alcohol. How alcohol, when it comes into us, directs us and empowers us to do certain things. The spirit filling directs and empowers us to do certain things. Christian, be directed and empowered by the Spirit of God. Directed and empowered by the Spirit of God. How does it happen? When you, in faith, respond to the gracious work of God. You turn, you see the gracious work of God and you turn to him. It is his, his kind work that is meant to draw us to him. His kindness leads us to repentance, which is a turning from and a turning to. God always, God's kind work, this is how he always is at work in your life, Christian. He always is at work in the past laying out a foundation as he works, as he works, as he works, as his power is poured out on your life, day by day by day. He's laying a foundation so that today, when you ask a question, yes or no, for God or against him, he says, look at that. Look at that. What do you get when you look at that? you get strong evidence about who God is. Faithful and faithful and faithful and faithful and faithful and good to you, good to you, good to you, good to you, good to you. Even in surprising ways, in ways you didn't expect, in ways you could never have calculated, but faithful and good. Here today, I don't see how. I'm not sure. What does his record tell me? He is faithful and good, even in surprising ways. In faith then respond to that by saying i believe tomorrow you will be that god still i believe you will be that god still and what happens then in the moment life life and what happens if you don't respond in this moment. I see that, or maybe you don't even look. I see that, and all I see in that was what I received, the house swept clean and fixed, restored. But I don't see God in that. I'm not even looking for God in that. I just see the stuff, and I don't see any stuff now. So no, I won't respond in faith to the gracious power of God. What happens here? Not life. Dryness, an internal desert. The streams of living water begin to slow up to a trickle. Darkness begins to take over, even unbeknownst to you. Are you a Christian? Yes. You're indwelt, but not filled with the Spirit. You are filled that is directed and empowered by someone else to whom you are voluntarily turning. You'll be taken off course, taken away from him. And life won't flourish in you. Christian, if you think about this, Christian, I think it goes some ways towards explaining some of our, some of the time in some of us, I'm not trying to make a blanket statement here, but some of our malaise in life. Sometimes, as Christians even, we, we sit in this place of saying something like, okay, I understand the kingdom has come already, and it's come in Jesus. Kind of last week's passage. Okay. Uh, okay. Why don't I feel nearly as excited as people seem to think I should feel? That I, I've known that for a long time. It doesn't really strike me as anything remarkable. So okay, I, I'm thankful for that. I, I close up the Bible and then I, I walk out into my life, and it's just the same old, same old in life. And I'm not sure how anybody becomes what First Peter one nine says, rejoicing with a joy that is inexpressible and full of glory. Who's that? First Peter one nine, right into the church. He says of the church, you rejoice with the joy that's inexpressible and full of glory and you say, I don't, I've never known. What is that? Peter says, that's the Christian. Not me. Why not? Life. That's that's life. Rejoicing with the joy that's inexpressible and full of glory, that's life. What does the first part of that verse say? Perhaps it would be helpful to look at this. Hadn't intended to go here, but let's 1 Peter chapter 1 Hebrews James 1 Peter 1 verse 8 start there and, and as I said I didn't intend to do this I'm not going to treat this thoroughly i got other things to say here in the next 14 minutes but Think about 1 Peter 1, 1.8. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him. You've responded to Him in faith. To Christ in faith. You believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Obtaining the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. I have not seen him, but I believe that in him I am obtaining the outcome of my faith, the salvation of my souls, because he's that God. He will be faithful and good. He will deliver me. I don't see that, but I believe it. And what results? Inexpressible joy that's full of glory. Why isn't that me right now? Well, I don't know, I'm not talking to you specifically, but it's possible, consider this, it's possible that you're not responding to the past gracious kingdom power of God at work and what he has done and what that means he will do. It's possible you're not responding to that in faith. In a turning to God, a a humble embracing of God that then leads to Him filling you up, directing and empowering your mind and your heart so that you live now in almost with like one step in the promised future. Consider that. Obviously, I'm not talking to every single person all the same way. If you want to talk more about that, I'd love to. But it's possible that part of the explanation behind your malaise, why, why this, these verses in 1 Peter 1 don't describe you, is that you don't walk daily filled with the Spirit of God that is dependent on Him, trusting Him, communing with Him day by day by day, moment by moment, like you would any other friend talking to him and listening to him and receiving what he says to you, which takes us to the second point. Here's the second point. Life comes to the one who in faith keeps God's word. So you can hear some common words there. Life, faith, and I'm adding in something else, keeping God's word. Life comes to the one who in faith keeps God's word. I'm drawing this from the, the second paragraph in our passage, which really could be a standalone point, except that verse 27 links it a little bit to what just happened, what just was said, and there's a conceptual connection too. So I'm, I'm treating it together with this. Jesus, obviously, it says, as he was saying these things, the crowd obviously is listening and. and Interacting with it, some negatively, but surely some positively, like this one particularly bold woman who yells out, I praise the one, blessed is, how fortunate is she who mothered you, because you are great. Every Israelite woman hoped to be who Mary got to be, the one who birthed and brought up the Messiah. King, the one in whom God's kingdom has come. So she's saying that about Mary and that about Jesus, so in some ways she reveals, I get it. I get it. So in some ways she's kind of like most of us. I get it, I understand. The kingdom has come, come in Jesus. Amen. And then Jesus, in a, a gracious way, I don't think his tone here is, is, is mean-spirited at all. I don't think he wants to insult Mary this woman, but he does need to re- redirect correct this a little bit. Let me tell you where blessing actually lies. I tell you, blessed fortunate are you if you do this. Not just nurse the Messiah physically, but rather hear the word of God and keep it. That's what he wants to direct them and, and all of us towards. All people to Hear the word of God. That is, listen to it, take it in. So, hearing, not just having it impact my ear, but but to hear it, to listen to it and take it in, to trust it, even when it conflicts with what I might otherwise think or what everybody else that I know says. To hear the word. That's challenging. But for us, today, we're not listening to Jesus talk. We, we have the word written for us and are called to hear it, that is to take in the Bible and embrace it, to trust it. That, that's challenging, because obviously you're going to find a whole bunch in life that disagrees. Sure. But why has God the one who knows everything about you and loves you, written down his word and passed it on to you. Because it's true. And it's good. Hear the word. And keep it. Which means obey it. But a little bit more than just simply obey it. Not just simply do it, but to keep something has a little bit more of of a... of a nuance of guard, treasure, protect, admire, respect. So it's more than just, not less than, but more than just do what it says. It's value it and do what it says. Hear it and keep it. That's what he calls us to, careful attention to the word and careful obedience to it which may sound a bit familiar because it's very similar to something that we saw earlier. Back in chapter 8, again in the context of family, back in chapter 8, Jesus said, let me tell you who my mother and my brothers are, the one who hears the word of God and does it. So, very similar point. So, we could say, is this just a standalone point? Is this just a repeat of what he said earlier? And in some ways, yes, but not completely because it's a little bit different. Not only is it just tied to this passage, but there's a slight difference between chapter 8 and here. Chapter 8, in the context, Jesus is trying to clarify for us who is a genuine disciple, who's a genuine follower. The one who hears it and obeys it. Here, there's a little more lure. There's a little more attraction in it because this is the beatitude. Blessed is the one. Blessed is the one who hears and keeps. This is where life is found. How fortunate is the one who hears and keeps the word? There's more enticement there. He tells us this because it's hard to hear and keep the word. We know there's all kinds of stuff in our culture that's at odds with what the word says, all kinds of things that we will discover in us. So oftentimes we'll, we'll find something that, that we bump into and maybe it's a belief that we have held and have, and have completely bought about uh, what we should, how we should conduct marriage. or, or I'm, a, I'm a woman and here's how I think about femininity. And the Bible says, huh, there's going to be clearly challenge. And and we're going to run into them things that we realize cost. If I actually embrace, if I hear what Jesus says about any number of things, the friends at my school are no longer going to be my friends. I I could just pick it. What the Bible says about, you know, the only way to heaven is Jesus. If I say that, if I if I embrace that and actually act as if that's true, and I'm not saying be obnoxious by any stretch, but if I if I actually embrace that, there are gonna be people that I'm gonna lose. If if I I'm I'm a a teenager in high school, and if I embrace what the Bible says about sexuality, or I'm a 20- or a 30-year-old, if I embrace what the Bible says about sexuality, there are going to be people that are going to say no to me. And I might find myself on an island by myself, undated, and with no friends. And against that, Jesus says In fact, what they're telling you is that's that's the life of desolation. And that's a lie. Let me powerfully peel that back and show you the truth. Here's where blessedness lies. I'm the good God who has revealed this to you and has kept this to you. And I I promise you, do I have anything to base that promise on? Is there any reason you should believe me when I tell you? Yes, there is. Hear this and keep it and find life. So I begin to, as you see, I'm beginning to meld these two things together here. Faith in Christ that that leads Christ to live in me and own me and fill me and and hearing and keeping the word. And I meld those two things together not only because these paragraphs are back to back but because I've read the books of Ephesians and Colossians. Write these verses down and look at them later. Ephesians 5.18 and Colossians 3.16. Ephesians 5.18 and Colossians 3.16 are different and the same. If you know those verses, you know what I'm going to say about them. They are different in that Ephesians 5.18, be filled with the Spirit, and Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Maybe we could say hear it and keep it. Those are two different things. And what follows in both of those books, right behind them, are almost identical sentences. As I describe the Christian life of flourishing joy, of song and delight and praise and thanksgiving. It comes out of both being filled with the Spirit and being filled with the Word. So it is impossible to separate these two things and say, I will only be about the Word and I wish I could find the Spirit. Or I will only be about the Spirit and I'm not going to have anything to do with what God says. No, they are together. They are one and the same. The Spirit who gave the Word wants to run the Word through us and lead us on into obedience of it. And as we walk in obedience of it, what we are doing is in faith turning towards God and embracing Him. And the end result is that God fills us and the house is not left empty and you are like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose water never fails, not like a desolate place vulnerable to darkness. Now I realize I just said like 50 words that are complicated in some ways. So let me, in, in the end, say this simply. God has decisively moved into the world at the cross. And because the kingdom power is already here, his kingdom power is spread out in a thousand ways touching your life. He has acted to free, and then day by day by day, in the moments and circumstances, to free. Because that's what God is. A freer He is not an enslaver. He is a freer. He is a liberator. He's a redeemer, a fixer. And in response to his redeeming interjection of his good self into the world, in response to that, we must say, we must in faith turn towards Christ and say, give me you and give me you in your word. Give me you and give me you in your word that it would dwell in me richly that you would fill me up. That you would bring life. So turn to him. Turn to him in every moment when, when God gives you eyes to see something that he's doing, turn to him. And when when God, I hope, constantly calls to mind what he has already done, turn to him and commune with Him in faith. Lord, show me, teach me, guide me, meet with me, that God may fill you up. He has freed you to fill you with Himself in His Word for life. Let me pray. Father, would You help us To grab complicated concepts and pull them together into something clear. Spirit, we look to you to do that. Apart from you, we can do nothing. So illumine even now and clarify even now. Set aside what wasn't important for particular individuals and make certain points that are necessary clear. Call your people to yourself. Call Your people to Yourself, please. Stir in us faith and obedience that comes from faith. And as a result of obedience that comes from faith, will You please fill us, produce life, joy, joy, that is inexpressible and full of glory, we see and believe you are giving us the outcome of our faith, the salvation of our souls. Do that work in your people. And for those here who don't know you, Lord, would you reveal to them the danger of darkness, the death of darkness, and the glory of bonds broken and life bestowed. Make that clear to some here today even and open their eyes, give them faith, call them to you. We look to you to do this, Father, Son, and Spirit, for the sake of your name, amen.
0: Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City in Salt Lake City, Utah.